0: Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning. Um, if you're new and visiting, and Really, if you're a regular to Resurrection Church, welcome. We are glad that you're here. But let's especially welcome our guests this morning, Res Church. Would you do that? Glad that you're here. And, and I just encourage you, if all of you, but especially if you're new, come next week. Um, either come early to this service, or come or stay late after the first service for our first Sunday fellowship. It's on the lawn. We'll have coffee and donuts. Uh, It's a great time to just get to know others, and um, hopefully I would get to meet you, and some of our elders would get to meet you as well. My name's Bradley. I'm one of the pastors and elders. Uh, I have the privilege of reading the text for the sermon this morning, and Andy, uh, also one of our elders, is going to come and teach. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We are in a study through the gospel of Luke, and this is just, I keep telling people, I've had more fun with Luke, I think, than just about. I I keep saying that every time we start a new book, but man, this has just been so good. The Word of God is always bearing fruit and increasing wherever it goes. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. Everyone there? All right. On a Sabbath, while he, talking about Jesus... Was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but the priests to eat and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you: Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he s- around at them all. He said to him, "Stretch out your hand." And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Be to God.
1: Thank you, Bradley. Mm-hmm. Good morning, church. I want to start out with a word of prayer. Um, I need the Lord's help this morning. Father God, I'm just so humbled by you um, to be able to stand up here and open up your word and to be able to teach it that's not me in my own power, that is your Holy Spirit working in and through me. I give you the glory for all of that. Um, Father, just um, be my mouth. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Um, I just going to want to herald the good news and herald the truth. I don't want any praise as the one that heralds. I want to stand behind Jesus this morning. Help me to do that. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to start off by saying um, probably most of us here probably like this type of story. Uh, maybe, maybe you like to read or maybe it's a movie or maybe it's a play. But where there is the good guys and there's the bad guys. There's the protagonist and there's the antagonist. There's good and there's evil. Um, and I was thinking about this week what jumped into my mind was "Lord of the Rings." I don't know if y'all saw that. There's a clear good, there's a clear evil. And what we like, most of us like, is that we, we just love it when good prevails in the end, right? Most of us would also probably like this plot. A person looks the part of ordinary, but in fact, it turns out, they're e- extraordinary. They're superhuman. When someone's in distress, they change into their superhero suit. They fly in and save the day, a.k.a. Superman, right? Well, with our text, when we're looking at this text this morning, don't go there with either one of those plots. I pulled you in, but don't go there with either one of those. Don't do that, because if you do that, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on what Jesus is trying to teach. Are we good? All right, so let's recap. We took a break from Luke last week. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in there. Where are we at in the story? Um, Let's recap. So Jesus had just told Levi, he came to Levi and said, follow me. Levi was excited. He throws a banquet, a feast at his house, invites Jesus over. There's tax collectors there. There's uh, sinners there. And there's the Pharisees and the scribes and they look at Jesus sitting at this table with these tax collectors and sinners and they, they ask this question, why are you sharing a table with tax collectors and sinners? And the underlying question may have been there, why are you doing what we don't do? It doesn't look like us. Jesus' answer, the tax collectors and sinners need help and I can help them they ask another question why are your disciples eating and drinking when our disciples in fact even John's disciples they fast the underlying question there may have been why aren't you doing what we do you still don't look like us this doesn't feel right Jesus answers this question in two parts So first, he gives an example, he gives an analogy, and he describes the current days, the time that they're at, the present time there in that story, as like a wedding banquet. And he makes the point that it's not appropriate for the guest there that's honoring the bridegroom to not eat. It's not appropriate. He, He also goes on and says, what I'm doing... And teaching is like new wine. The thing about new wine is, is you, can't, you can't store it in an old vessel. It talks about an old wineskin. You have to put new wine in a new wineskin. Otherwise, it's going to swell and burst and pour out. So that's where we're picking up here in Luke chapter 6. I'm going to start reading the first couple of verses here. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, but some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So the settings changed, they're not at Levi's house anymore, they're they're moving from one place to another, and they're passing through this grain field, and... So the Pharisees sees them plucking the heads of the grain and they pose this question, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So remember I just got through saying, let's not try to retrofit this plot that, that we like of good versus evil. Let's not, let's not um, pin them, these Pharisees, as being evil. So what, why is that? Well, a couple weeks ago, Bradley mentioned this. So the Pharisees, their view is that the most imperative thing to preserve is the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. That's the most important. And to do that, you need to follow the letter of the law, literally. And, But we've also added some extra things, some extra traditions in there. Um, they have one and only view. That's the view. Um, you've probably seen horses race. Um, Recently, it was a Kentucky Derby. Uh, I think the Preakness, I think there's like four of them. I, I forget where in the, if they might have all been done by now, but major horse races, big deal. And I don't know if you know this, but with those race horses, they put blinders on them. And the reason being is they want these horses to do one thing, and that's focus on the track in front of them, and run the entire track. They don't want them looking over here at something that they may want and get distracted, looking inside at something else and getting distracted and steer off course. So when we look at the Pharisees here, instead of looking at, looking at them as evil, let's look at them as having blinders on. This is all I'm seeing. This is all, all I can do. So they're saying, your disciples, the men that are under your tutelage, have broke the sabbath law well how do they do that it's not against god's law to travel on the sabbath nor is it to eat on the sabbath but what about plucking the heads of grain and rubbing them in their hands let's uh let's look at deuteronomy chapter 23 should be on the screen Deuteronomy 23, verse 25. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So this is how passers-by would have gotten the grain they would have plucked it we need to we look at at this at this question we need to know what fully where where their foundation of this question is coming from where the basis of this is they're, they're putting it they're splitting hairs here but they're putting it under a microscope so let's get under the microscope with the pharisees we need to understand a little bit more about grain i think and how it's harvested so what does that look like for a first century wheat farmer in Palestine. What's, that, what's this process look like? So they would, lay the, they would lay the wheat down that they could take a sickle to it and cut it down. They'd lay it down. Then they'd have some hired hands, a crew come in, and they would pull, uh, scoop the wheat up and kind of gather it together, and then they would bind it in a sheaf. Once they have all the sheaves bound, they would load it up, load these sheaves up on a cart, and then they would take it back to the threshing floor. Threshing, what that means is to separate the head, the ear of the wheat from the stalk. They needed to do that. So they'd take it to a threshing floor. A threshing floor would be a designated spot outside where they had cleared it, and it was hard, packed hard dirt. It was a hard surface, designated spot for threshing. So they would unload all the wheat, uh, untie it, lay it lay it all flat on that threshing floor, and then they would thresh it in one of three ways. The first way is they would get they would hook up an ox if they had one or a cow, or multiple to a cart, and they would get the the ox or the cattle to pull the cart back and forth over this threshing floor. And the wheels of the cart, as it turned over the wheat, it would start smashing it and cutting it up. And in the process, it would separate the heads from the stalk of the wheat. That's number one. Another way they would do it, they got, they got a little craftier as time went on, is they would build a wooden kind of sled-looking apparatus. And they would attach sharp rock like flint to the bottom of it or even metal pieces later on, then they would stand, they would put weight on it, maybe multiple would stand on it, then they would have the ox or the cow pull it, and as it pulled across the wheat, these sharp objects would cut it, cut it in small and separate that head from the stalk. The third way was the manual way. No No beasts helping, no special tools or anything like that. What they would do is they would get a stick and they would flail it. It's called a flail. They just beat it with a stick um, and separate the head. So when the angel of the Lord comes to meet Gideon in Judges chapter 6, that's what Gideon's doing. He's threshing the wheat with a stick. He's beating it. When after um, Boaz meets Ruth for the first time, and she's gleaned some of that wheat and she's going to take it home, she threshes it by beating it with a stick, Ruth chapter 2. So that's another way it could be threshed. What happens after threshing? So now you've got a pile of, so that's good. You've got the head separated from the stalk. That's the only, the, the actual grain, the wheat grain is the only edible part for humans. So, okay, so now we've got it separated. Now we've got stalk and we've got husks all laying in a big pile. How do we get the grain out of that big pile? So the next stage was winnowing is what they called it. And they had a winnowing fork. It was, just think of a pitchfork, except it was wooden and it was um, wider tines, flat, wide tines. Um, If you remember earlier in Luke, John the Baptist talks about a winnowing fork early on in Luke. What they would do with the winnowing fork is they would scoop all that up, and they used the wind. They took advantage of the wind, the breeze. What they would do is they would just pitch it up. So the, the grain is actually the heaviest part. All this chaff and husk and small pieces of wheat are now very, very, very light, and the grain is heavier. So when they pitched it up, the heavier grain would fall straight down, and then the breeze would take the stalk and the husk somewhere else. So they let the breeze separate it for them. The, per, the passerby, this person, we talk about these people, if you're walking through your neighbor's standing grain and you pluck, your, you pluck the head, how would they do that? How would they separate it? Well, they would put it in their hands. Some farmers would do this sometimes, I guess, maybe to test the grain, but you'd rub it, separate the grain from the, uh, from the husk and what part of the stalk's in there. So they could have just, these disciples could have been just doing that and then eating it, picking out the seeds and eating it like this, the grain. Or um, it's possible that they were rubbing it and they were winnowing it this way, just pitching it up a little bit and letting the wind take the, the stalk and the husk and catching it and makes it a lot easier to eat, right? So it's possible they could be doing that. So why am I telling you all this, going into all this detail about harvesting wheat? Because let's give these Pharisees the benefit of the doubt here. You see Jesus is coming through these, this grain field with a, he's got a large following right here. This is not when it says the disciples, we had not got to him selecting 12 and giving them a special title yet. We're not there yet in Luke. There's a huge following. There's multiple disciples. It could have been a lot of men in this field plucking and rubbing and possibly throwing up. So to look at it, it looks like a bunch of hired hands out there working the field, harvesting the wheat. It looks like a lot of work going on Let's give these Pharisees the benefit of the doubt. So the disciples' manner of threshing, plucking the ears was lawful, but it was done on the Sabbath. Disciples' manner of winnowing and rubbing the ears and hands, that it was, this was also done on the Sabbath. So we need to understand more about what Sabbath law is, what it says, what God says about the Sabbath. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 23. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Should be on the screen. Leviticus chapter three, uh, 23, verse 3. God speaking through Moses. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation set apart. You shall do no what? Work. Work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So technically, the threshing, the picking out the green, the rubbing in the hands is work on the Sabbath. Technically. How does Jesus respond? Let's go back to Luke. let to start at verse 3 in chapter 6. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, "The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." Here's the here's the question that's probably in your mind. So we got we've got eating the disciples eating the grain on the Sabbath and in the process of doing work. We've got David given the bread of presence with no, no real mention of work or it happening on the Sabbath, and we got Jesus' claim as Lord of the Sabbath. How does this all fit together? Where is he going with this? How can we connect the dots on this? One thing is for sure, the Pharisees would have been able to connect them. How would they, how would they have been able to do that? So they, they know the laws of the Sabbath, Jesus reminds them of a particular story of David. And I say reminds because he uses the phrase, have you not read? And then he appears to be leading the Pharisees to a new claim. A claim that would be both profound and controversial that day. We need to ask some questions first of all. There's three questions I think we need to ask. Number one, what is the bread of presence and why is it special? You need to understand that. Number two, what is significant about this encounter that David had with the bread of presence? And number three, how does Jesus' claim as Lord of the Sabbath ultimately answer the question to begin with? So three questions, let's take them one at a time. Number one, what is the bread of presence and why is it special? So um, this one will not be on your screen, but I ask you to turn with me back to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 24. Still hear some pages turning when you're there? Say amen. 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 Leviticus chapter 24, I'm going to start reading with verse 5. You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Listen to this. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. Aaron was a high priest. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons. That's important. And they shall eat it in a holy place, and it is for, for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's, Food offerings, a perpetual due. So this, this bread of presence, you might, might recognize it as holy bread or show bread. You see that in, in Scripture. So this bread of presence, it's an offering to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And it's offered up by the priests for all of Israel to God. So this bread belongs to God. It's done regularly every Sabbath. but So fresh bread is put on that table every Sabbath. So they bring the 12 loaves out and they take the, the old bread that's been there for the prior week from the last Sabbath when they've done it, they take the old bread off and they put 12 fresh loaves of bread on. And it, it says here that that old bread that's taken off well, if we look in the original language it's pres- prescribed to the priest this is your portion for your service here is the bread y'all can eat this bread y'all can have this bread the old bread it's yours so let's remember that we are going to tie it all together in a minute that's number one number two what is significant about David's encounter with the bread of presence that's where Jesus goes have you not read This, he, he, talk, he mentions a story of David from, it's recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So this is a time in David's life where Saul is trying to kill him. He's trying to chase him down, he's trying to kill him. David's on the run. He's fleeing Saul, fleeing for his life. He comes to Nob, the priest's city, and he enters the house of the Lord, and Ahimelech, the priest, comes out to meet him. And David says, the king has charged me with a private matter. And my next stop, I'm going to meet a bunch of men. I need some food. I need five loaves of bread or whatever you have. And Ahimelech says, I don't have any common bread to give you, but I do have holy bread. And Ahimelech goes on to ask him a question. He says, has anyone, has, has, have your men been with women? So this question, he's, he's trying to qualify, he's trying to see if these men, if David and his men are qualified to have this bread. This is the same kind of, of instruction or uh, consecration type instruction that's given when, God, when Moses is about to go on top of Mount Sinai to meet with God and God says, Tell everybody in the camp they need to wash themselves. They need to prepare themselves. They need to con- consecrate themselves before they come to, to my mountain. Same line of question. Je- uh, David says, my men, when, when, they, when they journey with me, they're not with women. They don't do that. And in fact, because this is a private matter, they're, it's all the more reason why they're not going to do that. So they're good. So Ahimelech says, okay. He hands over the bread of presence to him. Jesus talks about them, him eating it, he and his men when he meets up with them. Third question, how does Jesus' claim as Lord of the Sabbath answer, ultimately answer their question? So let's consider what we know. In David's encounter, it was a Ahimelech's bread. Remember, it was given over, in that passage we read, it was given over to Aaron and his sons. It's their bread now. So if, you're, if you want to get technical, well, Aaron, this is, this is Ahimelech. Well, it turns out Ahimelech was a son of Ahitub. Ahitub was a descendant of Eli. Eli was a descendant of Ithamar, and Ithamar was a son of Aaron. This is Ahimelech's bread. It's rightfully his. It's, it's his bread. He has authority over it. It was his to receive, to eat, or to give away or do whatever with it. And Himelech chose that day to give it to David to be eaten by him and those who were meeting with. In the same way, Jesus is saying, I have authority over the Sabbath. And he he doesn't uh, when I when I read that, I was thinking, and what else? What else are you going to tell me? He just stops. That's all he says. He doesn't say, he doesn't defend his disciples for trying to eat. He doesn't explain, okay, you can do this, 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 and this, and this, but you can't do this. That's not what he said. He said, "I." He just he just makes a statement, I have authority over the Sabbath. The Pharisees missed God's intent with the Sabbath. Mark's account helps us a little bit with this. Let's turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 verse 27. And he, Jesus, said to them, the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man is the benefactor of the Sabbath. God set it aside. Just, he he uh, created the, uh, created everything in six days and he rested on the seventh. He made it holy. He wants man to rest on the Sabbath as well. Man wasn't created for the Sabbath. Man's a benefactor of the Sabbath. Man wasn't created for the Sabbath. God's intent was, that was was that man should rest. The emphasis was on the rest, not on the not working, not on what you can't do. The emphasis is on the rest and certainly not waiting to eat until the next day. So I think about uh, rest. Um, this Sabbath law is not just mentioned one time in the Bible. It's, it's mentioned several times in Exodus, maybe even possibly several, several times in Leviticus. One of the times it's re- referenced is it talks about a refreshment. Man needs to be refreshed on the Sabbath. I would I would ask you, how 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 does refreshment look when you're hungry? Right? Probably want to eat. I think it'd be hard to to have the rest. I think what God intended, if if, if you're in that state. Um. Jesus said, "I, the Son of Man, have authority." Over the Sabbath. But Jesus has more to teach. Let's read on. Back in Luke, picking up at verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Luke tells us this is another Sabbath. This is not the same Sabbath that the other question was on. And he says he goes to the synagogue and was teaching. And We look at the other gospel accounts, and it looks like it's it's very possible that this was the synagogue that the Pharisees would attend that had made the accusing question prior. He was heading that way. This is probably... Um, their synagogue, the one that they would attend, so he's likely have some of the same ones in the audience. And there happened to be a man there who had a withered hand. Um, Luke tells us that it was his right hand. He's the only gospel writer that identifies it as his right hand, but Luke's a physician. He's a doctor. He'd pick up on these things. We don't know what the diagnosis was other than it was withered so in the original language it says it, it means it's dried up his hand is dried up there's probably no blood flow to it it's dead it's unusable he had a handicap he couldn't use that right hand we also see it's not just the pharisees this time the scribes are there this time the pharisees have called in the big guns I say that because the scribes are writing the law over and over and over. They're penning it over and over and over again. They know the law, law of the letter, and we would, con- we would consider them lawyers today. So if he's going to throw the law at us, I want the lawyers here with me. They're prepped and ready to go. Let's read on. Verse 8. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do. To Jesus I remember at the start I said don't apply this plot now it, it, this is not Jesus stepping over into a side room in the synagogue and then stepping out with a cape flowing on his back and a big JC on his chest <laughs> don't do, don't do that this text because if your mind goes there this is just another one of Jesus' miraculous things that he does let's read on and get to the next I, I've heard this this is this is uh, it's repeating over and over and over again. Jesus healing, Jesus healing. No, no. If you do that, if you just look at him that way, if you look at that text this way, you're going to miss out. Instead of speaking to the man in private, he puts him in a public spot. He says, come up here and stand right here. Now, this is different. Remember earlier with the leper, when he, heard, when he healed the leper, remember he told the leper, he's like, tell no one who healed you. He didn't, he didn't want it to, to be put out there. In this in this particular instance, he wants him up front where everyone can see. He wants it public. And here's the here's the thing. Um, he Jesus had compassion on this man. He saw the withered hand. He had compassion on him, and he wanted to do something about it. I think about us. I think about me in situations where. Um, I want to do good. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do the. I want to. I want to please God. But I know that there are critics. There's those. There's going to be a backlash coming if I do that. And times we might want to just um, slip away. We might want to just um, not not proceed with what we know that we should do. That we're feeling prompted to do because of our peers or someone there, what they may say. Even though, even though that Jesus knew this backlash, backlash was coming from, this, from the religious elite, he gets the, the man in position to heal him. He doesn't back down. He doesn't fade away in this moment. So based on the response of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus perceives their thoughts. That's what he does. He poses the question to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good to save a life, or do harm, to destroy it? That's a, that's a pretty straightforward question, right? That's, a, that's an easy answer. We want to do good. We want to save a life. My, Matthew's account gives us a little more detail here. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verses 11 through 12. He said to them, which one, it's Jesus saying to the Pharisees and scribes, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? how much more value is a man than a sheep so it is lawful to do good on the sabbath sheep in the pits helpless anyone that comes across the sheep in that situation would help it this is an obvious answer of this uh, this question is obviously answered with yes we want to do good we want to save a life but yet there's silence So think about being in the room. Think about being in the synagogue. Jesus up front. He's got the man here that's handicapped next to him. And he poses a question. He doesn't look at the man uh, with the withered hand and ask a question. He addresses the scribes and the Pharisees. And Luke tells us that he looks at each one of them. So just imagine... Everyone, all the focus is on Jesus, and they're probably following his eyes, and he's going from one to the other with a question, with his eyes, waiting for a response. He's, he, he wants a response from them. He, he, he's asking them this question, but yet silence. No response. So Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and he's healed. His hand's Restored. I don't believe Jesus went to the synagogue that day planning to heal someone. I believe he just went. It was, it was Sabbath and he was going to the synagogue and he was teaching. But there was a man there that was in need and he had compassion on him and he acted on that. This demonstration, he's, he's inviting the Pharisees into to new thinking about the Sabbath. It's not a a law, not laws written in stone, but a pump of the heart of Jesus. It's a new attitude. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of acting uh, uh, on the Sabbath. It's about what's doing right, basically. It's doing the right thing. Pharisees, I can help this man. I'm going to do the right thing. I titled this message at arm's length. I feel like in this passage, in this text, and, we're, and up to this point here lately in Luke, he is inviting the Pharisees to come to him. Yes, the disciples are in this text, and they played a role in it. Yes, the man with the withered hand is in this text, and they played a role in it. But ultimately, I think this is about Jesus and the Pharisees, this text. And as he's invited them up to this point, he said this, he quoted the passage uh, back a little bit in Luke. He says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He, um, <clears throat> when he heals the paralytic, remember the, the man, they, they opened some tiles of the roof and put the, put the paralytic down in there for, uh, for Jesus to heal him. He says this to the Pharisees, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? or to say, rise and walk, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's stretching out his arm. He wants the Pharisees to come to him. He says, He says, when he's at the table with the tax collectors and sinners, he says, I'm here to heal the sick. I'm not here for the ones that are not sick. I want to help them with the outstretched arm. I'm, I'm saying this metaphorically. He's, he's inviting them. He's wanting them to come to him. There's a man that, that has a deformity. He has a handicap. I want to make him whole. I want to help him. I want to help him, Pharisees. I want to. I want to help you come closer. I want you at arm's length. I feel like you know he this he he raises this. He makes a statement about having authority over the Sabbath. This is this is not his first authoritative statement in Luke. He had, he cast out the demons earlier. He has authority over unclean. Uh, spirit, He has authority over, he just, we just read that with a, par, or I just mentioned that with a paralytic. I have authority to forgive sins on earth. I have, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I have authority over the Sabbath. I, um, as I wrestled with this scripture this week, I was trying to, you know, it helps, especially in a narrative, to put yourself in the story. It's like, who do I identify with? In, the, in this story and there's times to be honest with you that I'm a Pharisee to be honest there's times that I've gotten a vehicle to drive to church and I see someone mowing mowing your yard and I have these thoughts that I shouldn't go there I shouldn't I shouldn't go where I'm going with those thoughts there's these there's a there's a tendency to look at what's right or what You know, in in the sense of the law, what's good and bad, what you should and shouldn't do. Jesus says, trust me. That's what he says, trust me. Trust me to supply. Um, It it may be this morning that something else is going on. Um, A good place to be, I think Jesus invites us all, is to come to him. Come sit at his feet and listen to him teach. Come bow your head at his feet in tears, but come close. You see, that, as we come closer, any calluses on our hearts, any thickness of our skull starts to soften. This old vessel that we've held old wine in, and we say that the old wine's better, don't want to change, he starts softening our vessel. He starts, we start allowing ourselves to, to, to be a new wineskin, a new vessel, and we start being able to hold his new wine. And this, this new wine that he's teaching, it's regenerative. It restores. It transforms. He's saying that over and over here in Luke. We see lives get transformed. Healings take place. We just have to trust him. Let's pray. Father God, I I just thank you for this text this morning. I thank you that Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord of so many things, and I'm so thankful he's Lord of my life. His call is is to be the Lord of your life. Father, I pray that... um, we answer him when he calls, that we, we take a step towards him, that, we, that our hearts are soft, are softened and our minds are softened to what he's teaching and who he is and the authority that he, ha- that he has because, God, it's, it's Jesus that makes us whole. Father, we thank you and we love you and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you Andy. Let's stand together. As much as it's important for us to think well about our gathering, it's important for us to think well about how we scatter and our mindset as we leave this place. You know, for a long time, I my Christian life was like a roller coaster ride between church services you know because I during the week I would try to make my best efforts like the Pharisees to just keep all the rules and ultimately my failures to keep all the rules led to me coming back to church and needing to learn more about grace so if like Andy I identify with the Pharisees too and and, and there's a variety of ways in which that might happen for you or for me but it, it, it took me too long to get this, what Paul says in Galatians This is what I want us to leave on Galatians chapter 3 I think this is what Jesus wanted the Pharisees To get Ultimately He says, did you, to the Galatians Who were struggling with rules Mainly about circumcision Did you receive the spirit by works of the law Or by hearing with faith it wasn't works that got us here, was it? And it's not works that's going to keep us between now and next Sunday, it's not works that's going to keep us. What's going to keep us? Dependence on the Spirit, right? So let's leave. Let me just read a little bit more. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. We don't. We don't. We begin by the Spirit. We get perfected by the Spirit. Amen. So let's leave here today with that being our mindset this week. We're going we're to do what the Pharisees did not do, although we tend to find ourselves in their shoes. So we're going to depend on the Spirit to participate with Jesus and walk in step with the Holy Spirit this week. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for Andy opening the, the scriptures to us today and your work through him Thank you for ears to hear and eyes to see. Thank you for worship and prayer. Thank you for the gathering of the saints. How sweet it is to come together and sing how great you are. Uh, What a joy. And what a joy, Jesus, to see you inviting people to just keep coming a little further. And so help us as we leave here today and we scatter to go in dependence on the Spirit, not dependence on our flesh. We're not going to follow you effectively by trying to keep rules. We're going to follow you effectively by depending on you. And so help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen together. See you next Sunday. Love you. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.